3: The voice of your Chicago Bears. Justin takes it knee one more time, runs to the north end zone. They all belly fluff into the end zone like little kids on the playground oh, no. during a rainstorm, just having fun. Second and five of the 33. Blitz on and Fields gonna run up the middle. He'll get near the, let's call it the 34 yard line on a run by Justin Fields, and that is the yard that gets him to 1,000 yards rushing in a single season. He is only the third quarterback in NFL history to accomplish that. Lamar Jackson has done it twice. Michael Vick did it as well in 2006. Congratulations, Justin Fields. Jeff Joniak, you are ridiculous.
0: Mully at Hall, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Always a delight to talk to our dear friend, Jeff Joniak. A lot of uh, a lot of years under the belt with Jeff, and he joins us now on The Score Hotline, brought to you by Circuit Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. Jeff, today is 2 3 23 It is a time to remember Michael Jordan, and we certainly do remember that. Some great years covering the Bulls back in the
3: day. Oh, we certainly did. Uh, Wow. Uh, You know, that's when I really got to know the real Mike Mulligan. Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) uh, That is a horrible reality. (laughs) And what a great guy is the William A. Finnegan SJ Memorial Award winner. Congratulations. How about Uh,
0: that? that? I love that.
3: I love that. But uh, those MJ days, uh, it was uh, literally like traveling with the Beatles, and you did more of the traveling. I only came along in the postseason, but uh, some great memories. Uh, One of my favorites was before they went to Detroit to try and upend the Pistons uh, that game at Chicago Stadium. Uh, There was a thick haze in the building and Michael put his team on his back, as he always did. And I remember driving home under the L tracks on Lake Street because the traffic was so bad, and uh, I was in tears because I was moved by that performance. I could not believe what I witnessed, and uh, it happened more than once just when you think about it.
1: Just uh, dramatic, dramatic, dramatic. Awesome time. Great memories, Jeff. Yeah. And tomorrow you might be in the midst of another one. You're calling the Senior Bowl for – XM Radio, great honor to have the voice of the Bears in Mobile, Alabama for this occasion. Great testament to your talent, Jeff. I just wonder, in all your preparation, have you practiced? Max Duggan, you are ridiculous.
3: <laughs> no, the, the ridiculous is put away a long time okay. ago. Uh, until Devin uh, gets in the Hall of Fame, then we can resurrect it. But, no, that 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 was – you know, that's custom-built for, for Devin, you know, because that's just raw emotion. So we haven't seen anybody come around that way. But uh, there are some very interesting – Uh, talents in this game and you know it's always one that you hope to see some really good quarterback play last year five of the six that did play actually took nfl snaps last season so you can't discount that at all these guys are going to find their way on rosters for sure but in terms of star talent at the quarterback position no he's the biggest name though Heisman runner-up and uh, out of Texas Christian. He's got something to prove as well after that performance in the championship game. Uh, but the guy loves football, and he does have some uh, really interesting talents, as do a couple of other guys. Jake Haner is an underdog. If you're looking for those from Fresno State, he'll be on the national team. Uh, this guy's got grit to him. Uh, and just watch the UCLA game in 2021, and you'll, you'll get to see what he's all about as well.
0: You know what's fun is being able to kind of uh, catch up with – uh the idea that the Bears are down there and they got a little insight, right? The idea oh, yeah. that uh Luke Getze is a coach of the team, you know, I was reading earlier in the week that he was having these practices that were a different pace than the other uh team and, and he was doing a lot of teaching. I think that's really important to to get his sense of how these guys learn of what you can you know, they've discovered players uh, down there, and uh, with the extra insight, maybe they discover something else. So it's a, it's a real advantage, I think, for the Bears this year.
3: Well, you can look a guy in the eye and see what he's all about in his chest as well—that heart. Right. See if what he's got. But yeah, I mean, typically the the, the scouts and the general managers. Uh, They'd like to see as many reps as possible because they want to evaluate everybody and set the teaching aside for another day. But, you know, take the opportunity, do what you have to do. And the interesting thing about this game is that it's just not two teams with their entire staffs and their entire support staff. It is a mix of 16 different teams just thrown together. And I I always find that, you know, Mike, you have a favorite word. You always use the word fascinating. It's fascinating to me that you could, on on a week's notice – uh, basically i mean there's some prep involved but you get the collective minds of all these assistant coaches and they put together a, a, a practice plan and it looks like football <laughs> I, 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 from all these guys parts unknown without your typical support staff when I mean, we're talking about everything from trainers to video guys shooting practice so it, it's going to be a, an interesting week uh, it has been an interesting week it should be an interesting game as well
1: beyond the that- I think Luke Getze's career is enhanced because of the contacts he can make and the impression he can leave from head coaching experience. It is just an all-star game, but he is now the guy that gets in front of a team, and he's being watched, Jeff. And I think when you look at his evolution as an assistant coach, we asked the question early in the week, can Luke Getze become a head coach before the Bears get to the playoffs? Do you think that's Mm. conceivable, or does one have to come with the other?
3: I think one has to come with the other, unless there's something really special about the guy, and uh, there very well uh, could be, because he did impress in his interviews last year. I, I was told that, and he uh, he really commanded that interview process. So, this is a huge step for him, and it, it, with all these other assistants from other teams uh, coming along, you know, you you start putting your your book together as a potential head coach, right? Who's going to be on my staff? And it's not just friends; it's it's people. And you know, I I always hate the idea you bring along your friends because that's the worst thing you can do. You bring around the best assistant coaches you can possibly find and put them on your staff. You got to be like minded, of course, same scheme, same thinking. But you know, don't don't be afraid to get guys that haven't worked with you before. And now you're getting exposed to all these different coaches. So I think uh, it all it's all about playoffs. Those are the guys that get most of the recognition. And so uh, I'm glad there's not a big upheaval on the Bears staff, in, in particular that that position. You can't keep making changes at the offensive coordinator position and expect development consistently from your quarterback.
0: Yeah, I, you know, and the other element here is um, the Bears have a ton of money in free agency. So you're down there, you're looking at players, you've got your guy, your coordinator, he knows what he's looking for in different players. It's a really nice advantage. You also can – Figure out what the depth of different positions are. You know, you got to know the draft, and you got to know if you need to go into free agency to get a player or two. And they certainly will be getting, I hope, three or four starters out of free agency. Then you then you can kind of balance your draft around that, and then you can get back in the market uh, after the fact as well.
3: One hundred percent. And I, and I've told David this the other day. I'm tunnel vision here. I'm just looking at the line of scrimmage right now. I'm not looking at anybody else in terms of really significant analysis. Pass rushers, interior defensive linemen, offensive linemen, that's where I have to be focused on because as we're seeing in the playoffs, we're seeing in in NFL history, if you can't do it in the trenches, you're not going to do it, period. So that has to be reinforced in every way possible. There are strengths in this particular game and in the draft with, with the defensive line edge rushers, right. uh, the offensive line position. There's some mammoth people in there. I know the Bears want to be uh, on their feet quick and be able to move uh, with some speed. So you, you got to uh, sift through that in terms of what they're looking for. But uh, and the tight end position is also one of great strength running back position. So, these are potential places down the line in the draft that you could potentially get a starter out of this senior bowl class,
1: let alone what we're going to see at the combine. Because there are mammoth holes on the Bears' depth chart, that Jeff. I think when you talk about the needs that exist to fill them in the draft, yes, free agency. I wonder, do you expect the Bears to go into free agency prioritizing the things you just described? Don't they have to? even though the skill position is what everybody wants for Justin Fields, even though there might be a shiny new Saquon Barkley there in free agency, don't you have to stay disciplined if you're Ryan Poles and start to build from the ball on out? 100%. I think it's it's
3: it's a it's a conversation ender. If you don't, you have to. It, that is the only way to start this process here in 2023 and beyond. And I think he is quite understanding of that. As a former offensive lineman, his eyes are, are definitely at the line of scrimmage, uh, and that's what you have to do. Uh, and I know there's shiny new pieces that you'd love to add, but what I don't want, and I know he's discussed this many times, just don't force anything. You know, there might not be some great receivers out there in free agency or in this draft that you can get because you have other needs. Uh, So don't force it and uh, over-invest in something that, you know, may not pan out the way you want it. Yeah,
0: you know, it's interesting because I think that I've been saying to David, I I thought, Jeff, that it was a bad thing for the Bears when the salary cap went up, uh, whatever it was, 8%, because it would mean teams had more money, and the fear is – that a guy like Darren Payne, for instance, from the Commanders, he's 25 years old, he's 320 pounds, he's a good interior lineman, is he going to be available, right? Do they have mm-hmm. more money now to prevent guys like that from hitting the free agent market? That's what uh, worries me a little.
3: It's a fair uh, fair analysis there. Uh, it worries me too because uh, I'd love to have that guy in yep. navy blue and orange for sure, yep. and there's going to be a bunch of other guys, but again, you know, just be disciplined, and I think he has been very transparent about that, and he he will be. Just because you have it doesn't mean you're going to spend it all. You can't invest all of it in just one big chunk uh, to one guy, while one guy can make a difference at that position on the defensive line. Hey, I look at what Detroit did in the draft last year. They they drafted three defensive linemen. They had to wait on one in James Houston. and he became a sudden star, yeah. Aiden Hutchinson, Paschal, and you just – developed a whole unit in one draft not to mention now what they can do and continue building they managed to to put together a very nice season up there in Detroit so just stick to your gut instincts here on how you want to build this thing he says he's draft driven he does have the assets financially but it has to be a pick and choose and know where you want to put it you got as David pointed out that there are many many holes on this team and it's position wide
1: Jeff, nobody studies the league like you do, so I know you have an opinion or a thought on Vic Fangio going to the Dolphins as their defensive coordinator, the highest-paid assistant coach in the league now, $4.5 million per year, and that's more based on the information we could gather than half of the head coaches in the NFL. How do they justify that, and do you think it will be money well spent?
3: Well, if you got it, the, the you know, the one thing, there's no salary cap for coaches, <laughs> right? right? So why not? I love Vic. I think he's uh, a premier defensive coordinator. He, he understands the game in a unique way, and he's patient with his guys uh, to develop them. And so, yeah, happy for Vic. Uh, he was in high demand, apparently, so he could have gone anywhere he wanted to, frankly, the way it sounds.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, got no problem with it, actually. I, I, I mean, I just think, you know, we were talking about it. You give up a first-rounder for Sean Payton. There's first-round plus. They're swapping a second right. for a third. And and then you got a guy like Vic getting paid like a head coach. I mean, there are a lot of head coaches out there that aren't making $4.5 million.
3: You, that, think they're, you think they're running to ownership right now? Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, seriously.
0: <laughs> and, and he's – you know, Vic is 64, I believe, right? So he's got a three-year deal at that kind of money – um, it's, it's an unbelievable. you know, he, and he'll be left alone. I don't think, that, you oh, know, he's yeah. got his own, McDaniel's going to do his thing.
3: Yell at the
1: quarterback. In Miami, he'll never shovel I, snow again. I, no, no it's, he'll it's, like it's that.
3: He'll, he'll like that. You know, I, you know, listen,
1: I, what do you guys think
3: of it? Honestly, it. I, 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 I think there's nothing wrong with it at all. And, and that's the way Vic rolls. Leave it to him. Leave it to me. I'll handle this. You handle your stuff. I don't need to be bothered with anything right now. I got this under control. So, And he's been a head coach. He's got that experience now. So he's got a little more cachet rolling in uh, to that locker room in Miami.
1: Jeff, I think that we're headed toward uh, the, the next phase of this, the next extension of this uh, conversation is you saw the Broncos give up the draft capital for Sean Payton. You're going to see a team at some point in time give up a draft pick for a coordinator because if you value assistant coaches to this degree – at some point in time, your capital is not just going to be the money because there is no cap. You're going to give up a pick for a guy who might have been fired or left the team but still under contract, and that will be the case if you want him badly enough.
3: It won't be broad scope, though, because you know those, those picks are just too valuable. But, uh, yeah, I, I didn't really realize how many times it's happened already. I think five or six times now that draft picks have gone for head coaches over the course of uh, the NFL, in recent vintage anyway you know, the one that, that pops for me is the Gruden one that got them to a Super Bowl win in Tampa Bay. Uh, but, uh, yeah, uh, you make a great point, uh, especially especially offensive coordinators. Let's be honest. Those are the hardest ones to find. The, they, they're, to me, offensive coordinators are the most stubborn of all football coaches. They close their door. They do their thing. And they sometimes, and, I, and I've experienced it, I've seen it, you, they don't want to be – they don't want to hear anything from anybody else. They just want to do their thing. And if it's not going well, the adjustments are, you know, it's not really on them. It's on everybody else. I'm not painting everybody with a broad brush, but it's its its something that uh, is, is uh, of consideration. And teams go through them more than anything else. And I think that's what really hampers offensive development. And I know if you're fortunate to get a really good one, you hope to keep them for a, a serious length of time uh, because the best quarterbacks, they're going to be the best quarterbacks anyway but the Peyton Mannings and the Drew Breeses and these guys that stayed in one system for the bulk of their right, career right uh, they they reap the benefits for sure
0: Jeff I know you you've all your focus has been on this game and getting your call right and your your preparation is legendary. I just wonder. You I, guys it's are it's funny, true. man. I, you,
3: I, hey, there ain't we, no legend in my name. That's oh, for damn sure. Come on. We know but it. I appreciate it. Yeah, this is, this is a, this is like 126 players yes. and there's multiple numbers. This is going to be a challenge and, now. And then
1: Northwestern has got a tough name to 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 pronounce. Oh, my gosh.
3: I love this kid. I texted uh, Pat Fitzgerald yesterday. I said, hey, have you seen what he's been doing? And he just gave me a short answer. Uh Loves the kid, that's for sure. Uh, some some really, really good defensive play. But I'm going with Adi uh, Atabare, so I'm not going with the whole first name. Uh, but he is – yesterday he drove uh, – did you see this highlight at all? No. For the, no. the Notre Dame kid, uh, Patterson, he drove him into the middle of next week in oh, one-on-ones. Wow. And it was – um, I, I, I didn't think I could ever see something like that. He's six one and 5'8", 284, but he's got 34-inch arms and a wingspan of like 83, and he was he's just explosive off the line of scrimmage. I could see him being a three technique in a certain team so you're somewhere. So
0: you're definitely monitoring, as much as you're doing this, if you're looking at wingspan and you're looking at hand size or whatever, I, I'm a, I'm you're a draft guy. You're getting, no, you're I love getting it. geared up for the NFL draft,
3: draft already. Nick. You're
0: using this. To feed what of you're course.
3: going, to, it's great. It's wonderful. It's, it's, it's saving me some time actually. Yes. I would have never got to all this by now. No, it's a, it's a great it's honor awesome. to do it. I can't wait to do it. And um, I, you know, I know there's not a lot of like a first, bunch of first rounders in this thing. But there'll be some top fifty players in here. Uh, I would say about uh, eight to ten, maybe twelve. So it'll be a good. It'll be good. I don't even know if these guys are going to play. That's the other thing but- too. You know, agents get involved before kickoff. Hey, you know, maybe you did a really good job this week. We're hearing you really improved your stack. How about you sit this one out? So
1: (laughs) I I have no idea. That's the whole idea. And and as Mully pointed out earlier this week, it it was the right way to look at this. These players may not be the top ten. This is the rank and file of the the NFL in the future. These are the guys that are going to fill out rosters, play special teams, be five-year starters, have good careers, May not be the biggest names, but they will be big contributors. 100%. In
3: this uh, game last year, you got Braxton Jones. Even down yeah. the line, Sterling Weatherford, who's a really good special teams player, was on the Bears this year. You got Dominique Robinson yep. as a fifth-round pass rusher you're hoping to develop. You got those guys out of there. there there's a couple of more. Too. Bayless five, Jones. Yeah, Bayless Jones, who was also yeah. on the sidelines watching practice next to really? Luke Getze during the week. What's he should he be doing? catching punts. <laughs> <laughs> maybe he was. Oh, maybe beautiful. he maybe he was a consultant in this game. I don't know. And and of course you've got some uh local products. Another guy, you know, Homewood Flossmore's John Michael Schmitz, he's a center from Minnesota. He's going to be a plug-and-play starter in this league. He is about 6'4", 306, first-team All-American. He shined in this one, too. He Once he got his hands on somebody, they weren't going anywhere. Uh, very impressive player there. And then at the wide receiver position, uh, as I look from my board here real quick, Jaden Reed out of Naperville Central. Uh, what an explosive route runner. Uh, he went to Michigan State, uh, really impressive during the course of the week as well. So a couple of local guys, including the Northwestern guys. And Evan Hall from Northwestern is a little bowling ball. Not a little. He's 5'11", 214, but a uh, really over. good receiver. Who? Yeah.
1: He'll knock you over. Oh, oh yeah, he's going to knock you over. He's a good runner. He's a tough kid. Yeah,
3: Yeah, and uh, yeah, listen, I love football, so this is like uh, really? cat, catnip for me. <laughs> so Couldn't I, tell, Jeff. Yeah, <laughs> Great stuff. Hey, anyway,
0: can't wait for the broadcast. We'll be listening. Really appreciate your time, Jeff. Hey, again, congratulations,
3: out. Mike. It's uh, quite you, the man. honor as well. Thank you. Pal. Keep up the good work, fellas. We'll talk to you down the road. Thanks, All Jeff.
0: Right. That is Jeff Joniak. That is uh, that is always fun to talk to Jeff. Man, back in the day, incredible. He remembers those Jordan stories. I, I told you, the one that got to me was that game, the shrug game, where they let him open and he was hitting the threes. And I was sitting there court side and i'm looking at the phone and i swear to god i was like i was gonna call the paper and just say listen you gotta bring someone better than me out
1: here this is like a big deal because you couldn't call them on your cell phone so well, you're staying no, at the no. regular phone we thinking the phone i need to call somebody uh, to replace me because i, I exactly. can't possibly chronicle this. i will
0: never be able to meet this moment <laughs> that is what went through my head i never made the call
1: because, and then uh, you read the story the next morning and you shrugged like, yeah <laughs> How did I do that? How did I do that? I rose well, to the occasion. you know what you do? You just get out of the way. Get out of the Tell way. Tell the story. Yep.
0: Mully and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio, six seven to the score.
1: Charlotte's not even going to attempt a shot, and they shouldn't. And that's going to be the ball game. Bulls win. Bulls win. Bulls win. One fourteen to ninety eight.
0: Mully and Hall, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Yes, indeed, the Bulls. It's a delight to welcome in Cody Westerland. He covers the, the Bulls. He's also the managing editor of uh, 670 The Score, where you find all the, the great coverage. And it is a delight to welcome him as we welcome all guests to the Score Hotline, brought to you by Circuit Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sportsbook. Cody, good morning. How are you? I'm good. How are you guys? Well, you know, we've been talking about it, and I think we are at as big a crossroads with the Bulls as the Bulls appear to be at a crossroads in their rebuild, whatever way you want to term it, their their current uh, construction. And you did a great job of breaking it down last week and trying to figure out what needs doing, what needs to be done here a lot of one-way players, a lot of uh, of defensive liability, and certainly a, a dearth of shooting.
4: Yeah, and I think this team, Molly. Thanks for the kind words on on that piece. It's on SixThirtyScore.com. I think the Bulls need to remake their identity somehow, and this trade deadline here that looms in six days is an opportunity to restart doing that. Like you mentioned, you can't be the team that doesn't have enough two-way players, and then also doesn't have shooting. And look, the Bulls have outperformed their defensive expectations for this season, um, given the fact that they start Zach Levine, DeMar DeRozan, Nikola Vucevic, guys who aren't generally considered um, even above average defenders. So they've actually been okay on that end, but it's certainly not even a good defense still. Like, no one gets mixed up with that. But you can't have that and then also be the team that's really just ISO and mid-range and, and runs through Vooch and Demar in the high post here and there and not have that high-volume three-point shooting. So that's why, like you said, they're at a crossroads here because I don't think you fix everything with this team, certainly with one trade deadline. I don't know that they can do it even with one entire offseason, but it's certainly a good opportunity here. It'll certainly be another good opportunity this summer and we can't have any of these conversations without talking about Lonzo's Ball's health but I also think there are times we talk about Lonzo Ball's health too much because the answer to this team ascending to a a much much higher level where um not just being a playoff contender but being a a team that can win a couple series in the playoffs they need a lot more than just Lonzo to do that
1: so around which Bulls player Is there the most urgency to deal before the deadline then? If you believe the rumors, there are teams lining up to talk about Zach Levine. Obviously, DeMar DeRozan at 33. He's not getting any younger, and his value may be at its highest. And then there's the reality of Vooch, who runs out of contract at the end of this year, and you would hate to see him walk away and get nothing in return.
4: Yeah, Vooch is the one I'm looking at there, right? Like, we can break him down individually here a little bit. Zach Levine, uh, my problem with the Bulls trading him right now is I don't know that they'd be trading him at uh, peak value because he has been inconsistent and had the lingering knee issues early in the season. And if you're a half a half a one-year into a five-year contract, basically, and you flip him on $215 million mid-season – Uh, it's probably going to be to a team that's competing for a playoff berth or has big expectations because those are usually the teams that are shopping for him. I don't know what they're going to give up by way of player capital because they still care so much about this year. I just think if Zach can have a good final 30 games and show he's really efficient, I think more options get opened up in the offseason if the Bulls were to want to look to trade Zach Levine, just maybe get more player capital back because then you ship out Zach Levine, that team can replace the guys they trade, whether it's the draft, free agency. They'll have a training camp to get everyone together. Like you got to keep in mind, anyone acquiring Zach Levine and really DeMar DeRozan, too, is like significantly or at least in a fair manner changing the stylistic identity of their team, probably, in some ways this season as they chase a playoff berth. So that can be a little bit difficult in that sense. So Vooch is the name that, that you brought up, obviously, if you don't have hundred percent or close to hundred percent confidence that he plans on re-signing in free agency, I think you got to flip him. But the other thing is like, I just think flipping Vooch would go a long way to changing the identity of this team in some ways, because right now they just, the Bulls have no rim protection. And while they have been like fairly aggressive in defending the pick and roll this year in, in how they blitz and how they come up high beyond the screen, Like Vooch getting stuck in one-on-one situations is something they want no part of. That's why you've seen like Derrick Jones Jr. for some long stretches play backup five, backup center for the Bulls because they feel like they can switch one through five. So Vooch, even though he's having one of the best seasons of his career, I think his second highest shooting percentage of his career, he's been really good. He's been really consistent, but most teams in the NBA – Building around a center as one of your key pieces is not something that you want to do unless their name's Joel Embiid or Nikola Jokic. So uh, Vuc is neither of those, even though he's been good. So I think um, moving him, I don't think they'd take a huge hit right now in terms of winning either because there would be enough opportunity to still go around of his offensive output. To Zach and Demar, and then I think getting more for Patrick Williams would be good. Like that would be a key avenue to me. I don't know if they're going to do it. They don't seem set to make big moves, but it's something that needs to be on the radar. They need to be talking every single day and listen to offers if they're smart.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, you know, I think when you say there's no use in talking about Lonzo Ball, the problem is you <laughs> don't have a timeline. I mean, I don't. I I said to David, is that is this guy coming back ever? I mean, and I I'm not being mean about it. I just don't know. That, that even if he comes back, how long do you have him? How chronic is the knee condition? It's just there isn't even a timeline for his return.
4: I mean, it's bizarre. There's no doubt about that. And obviously, uh, his father, Lavar told the Give Me the Hot Sauce podcast the other day that he's going to be fine eventually. Obviously, he couldn't put a timetable on that either. So, I mean, best-case scenario here, it feels like, for the Bulls, right, is that, like, Lonzo can go through a fairly normal training camp ahead of the start of next season. And then you'd certainly, I think, would load manage him somehow, bake in um, not playing back-to-back, stuff like that. And even then, that's a difficult spot, right? Because when you have someone in a $20 million a year salary slot, you want them to be available every single night. And if they're not, you're going to have to spend money behind them on the depth chart um, to fill in and just have insurance there. And the Bulls didn't do a good enough job getting insurance um, for Lonzo Ball this past offseason with Goran Dragic, um, really mm. is their only big guard signing or addition uh, in the backcourt in many ways, because Dale and Terry, they drafted him, but he just wasn't ready to play yet, um, kind of a raw prospect here first year. So the Lonzo question hangs over the organization. Uh, I mean, I'm as stumped as everyone, as stumped as the doctors are, really, um, with the Bulls and it's a fair question to ask. I, I know no one's going to believe anything from Lonzo really until we see him on the court, and that's just the unfortunate truth.
1: All right, Cody, let's go to Tier 2 about available bulls. So how does Alex Caruso's injury on Thursday night potentially affect his trade market, if at all? And the other two guys that I, uh, I'm wondering if teams are calling about, Io DeSumo had a big game. So did Kobe White. How do you prioritize those guys in terms of trade conversations?
4: Well, Caruso today'll be important certainly if the Bulls get get more news today tomorrow on Alex Caruso's foot sprain that he that he suffered last night when they beat the Hornets at the United Center. If it's if it's a day-to-day thing, I don't think it affects his trade value much. If it's a couple weeks, it certainly can affect his trade value because look, these teams that that are going to get Alex Caruso that want him, again, playoff contenders fighting for playoff seeding that can be a very big deal to to some of these teams as well so they might be turned off a little bit not add the add the extra in a trade offer to get him if they know he's going to miss a few games to start so that matters I like how Kobe White's played I mean he had 20 points last night but mm. I said this a few times it feels like he's been making more winning plays this year and affecting the game more on a night-to-night basis more than he has in the past and usually more than Io has really I feel like now the difficult part is like you can't just plug Kobe in as the starting point guard. We've seen that that movie before a couple of years ago, and it didn't work at all. So I like his role on the team with restricted free agency coming. I believe the Athletics reported that the Bulls have turned down trade offers even recently for, for Kobe White. And I know dating back to, to last summer, they did as well. So uh, they've liked to see what they have in him. And really, I think part of it might be like, besides Zach Levine, he's their only high volume three-point shooting guy who has the chance to to get hot from behind the arc and affect a game in many ways, other than just standing and spotting up. So um Io's an interesting one, right? Like he's been the wonderful homegrown story, but if you're going to choose between keeping Kobe and IO, who are both set for restricted free agency and, Neither is going to get a lot of money, but it's still a small little chunk of money for a team that'll probably be operating over the cap and such. Like maybe you do flip him for someone you like a little bit more in your rotation if there's a team out there. So he hasn't been a name that's been talked about much at all, but if you look at it through a common sense standpoint, if you're only going to have one of Io or Kobe next year and you can get more for Io right now. Like, I mean, he could be a dark horse trade candidate because, I mean, it's hopefully he had a really good game last night, but he's not the high-volume three-point shooting guy Kobe is.
0: And and when you talk about the offseason, there isn't a lot of money, as you mentioned. What draft picks do they have? They do, the, the pick conveys, unless it's top four, the one to on Vooch, right, to uh, to the Orlando Magic, and then I believe – there's a Portland pick, but that only com- conveys if it's not top 14. Is that it? I, I
4: get you, confused. You nailed it, Molly. Right now the Bulls are set with no first-round draft picks because if the season ended today, the Trailblazers would be the 12th worst team in the NBA, so that pick would not convey. So what Bulls fans need is for the Trailblazers to, to kind of get in those final eight teams and work their way into the end of the playoff mix in the West. And then the Bulls could get um, a pick that, you know, maybe around 15, 16, 17, 18, something like that. That would be very helpful. And again, unless the Bulls get really lucky in the draft lottery, they're probably not going to have their own first round pick because they only get it, like you said, if it's top four in the draft, which would take the uh, lottery balls going their way in that. So (laughs) it's a little bit of a difficult situation there, um, no doubt. And we know. The Bulls don't have a lot of second-round draft capital coming up these years either. They forfeited one in the Lonzo Ball tampering investigation and have added a few more in trades throughout the course of the years.
1: Quickly, Cody, basketball question. Andre Drummond did something last night getting a double-double in 15 minutes that nobody had done since Chocolate Thunder, Daryl Dawkins, in <laughs> 1979. Why has Andre Drummond fallen out of the rotation and will a night like last night get him back in it?
4: I think it's because he's not able to switch very well in pick and roll situations. And Billy Donovan has liked Derrick Jones Jr.'s versatility in a lot of matchups lately. And he thinks Derrick Jones Jr. gets him out in transition, more defensive versatility. Um, But then the flip side is the Bulls get beat up on the boards. And if Derrick Jones Jr. has a rough matchup, I mean, it might not matter. He might not get a chance to get the rebound if they get the ball in the low block. So... I do think after that game last night, Andre Drummond will get a little bit um, longer leash on, on playing time. He certainly played really, really well last night. I'm not on, like, I know I know our guy Casey Johnson loves Andre Drummond playing and, and thinks he should play all the time. I kind of like Derek Jones Jr. at the backup five, but Drummond has certainly earned a little bit more playing time um, here because he was he affected the game in a big way last night and the Bulls bench hasn't been consistent enough lately to do that regularly and he's a guy who... In the context of being coming off the bench, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth man, he has the ability to affect a game a little bit.
0: Great stuff, Cody. Really appreciate it, man. A lot, lot of really good information.
4: Thanks, appreciate Cody. It. Yep. You guys take care.
0: And he's on, he was on Twitch with us.
4: I he
1: was know, the whole time.
0: Yeah, I, I would have called it up.
1: Yeah, he did a nice job. Yeah, he was great. That's really he good. He does a terrific job covering that team. Yes, he he does. explains it well. And I think his perspective is right on, even though I am. With KC though on the Andre Drummond thing, I think he's got to play more. Well, I mean, got to play him more. I mean, Come there on.
0: could be there could be a guy being moved here very I, shortly I know. that yeah. it would open up a spot for him to play more.
1: The season isn't where it is because they haven't played no. Andre Drummond more. I, I don't that, want to overstate yeah. that. It's just a guy that I respect the way that he approaches things. So
0: that's all. 3-1-2-6-44-67-67 It's Molly and Hall at Chicago Sports Radio six seven. The score.
1: Next thing that's very important to me is that we build a smart football team, that we have a smart football team here. And I know we have the the people in place to do that. The first part of that, the first part of being smart is knowing what to do.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Molly and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio, six, seven of the score. Was that the introductory news conference? Yeah, I think so. That's Nick Sirianni with what is arguably one of the worst introductory news conferences. He came in. And he, they introduced him in Philadelphia, and honest to God, it was like he had never stood in front of a group of people, and part of being part of knowing what to do that's how you be smart about I mean just this double speak this it, it was a disaster
1: and that was only two years ago and,
0: and now look at him he's in the Super Bowl
1: in his second season incredible first season got to the playoffs. second season got to the Super Bowl. Who saw that one coming? Well, I, I mean, not
0: Julian Love, that's for sure. I, no. I, I wonder, David, when you think about Nick Sirianni and you think about this game, is he at a disadvantage? Because Andy Reid has been around forever. Andy has gone through pretty much anything you can go through in football. And he uh, he's also won. He's, he's had a, a – uh, I mean, listen, Andy had, I, what, four or five – NFC championships in a row, made one Super Bowl while in Philadelphia, and they did not win it. And Andy gets to uh, he gets to Kansas City, and they get the they get the quarterback, and lo and behold, Andy wins a Super Bowl. Now here's a chance to win a second one, but he's facing a really well balanced team. He's against he's he's lost receivers, his quarterback's injured. It, there's just a lot weighing on this.
1: My answer is kind of conditional and certainly not clear-cut. I don't think that the Super Bowl is going to be decided coach versus coach. Right. Seldom does it ever come down to that. If it did, the Eagles have a decided advantage, as I think most teams in the league would against the Eagles, with due respect. Second-year head coach, I know that you give him credit for the offensive uh, scheme and and such, and that's fair. But I think when the Eagles against the Chiefs, and you measure that, the roster of the Eagles, with the exception of maybe two positions, the roster of the Eagles overwhelmingly has the advantage over the Chiefs, Hmm. except for the quarterback and the tight end, which might be be enough for the Chiefs to overcome that. Granted, because you're talking about two – Hall of Fame caliber players in Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey. So I guess what I'm saying is that I don't know if Nick Sirianni not being the kind of coach that can measure up to Andy Reid matters when you have an advantage the way the Eagles do on the roster. At both sides of the line of scrimmage, their weapons are good enough, their defense is fierce enough. I don't know if you can drive this one into the ditch if you're a bad head coach or make wrong decisions. This is a team, I think, that is built to win now and I think will end up being the team that celebrates the Super Bowl championship a week from Sunday.
0: The 22 guys that started the season are available in the Super Bowl. That's, that's one thing. They come at you with waves of defensive linemen. And, I mean, they have, like, two complete defensive lines. So they come at you with fresh linemen all the time. They got a couple of really good ones they got four guys on the roster that are in double digits in sacks. They, they, It's extraordinary. Hey, you know, Robert Quinn's going to be in the Super Bowl. It's <laughs> extraordinary how many numbers, how many guys they can run at you on that side of the ball. And they got pro Bowls I, all over the field, and their, their offensive line is fantastic.
1: Robert Quinn will be in the Super Bowl. Hassan Reddick may dominate the Super Bowl.
0: He, he's he's that good. Oh, he's great. And he's,
1: he's playing that yeah. well. So, back to the coaches in terms of the relative value and what are they worth. It, in every case is different, but in the Eagles, I don't know. I, I think Nick Sirianni is very fortunate. He He's worked hard to put himself yes. in that position to be yes. hired, but he's been fortunate that he took over a team that was very complete. Doug Peterson and Howie Roseman fell out of favor for reasons I still don't understand. Yeah. I don't know if we've ever had that fully explained. Uh, explained. Yeah. Doug Peterson won a Super Bowl three years later, he's gone.
0: Yeah, it's crazy. Gone. I know.
1: So I don't and know. And they've
0: rebuilt that team and, and they and there's still some remnants of it, but they you know, he's gone and he's done a great job in Jacksonville. He he tells terrific how head coach. good he is as a head yeah. coach.
1: So I I think yeah. with Sirianni, this conversation we have about what the value of a coach is, it depends on the roster. But you look at, you know, they paid him according to NBC Sports. Boston, that had this kind of survey and story at the beginning of the football season, Nick Sirianni makes between six and seven million dollars.
0: Are you kidding
1: me? As the head coach.
0: That's insane. I can't. It seems. Insane. I don't think that's accurate. I would not. I would think that's wrong.
1: He's ranked 12th on the NBC Sports uh, Boston's ranking of head coaches' salaries. And at the time they did this, Cliff Kingsbury, who's celebrating somewhere in yeah, Thailand, yeah. still was making $5.5 million 13th in the league. The point of this survey in the context of our conversation is Vic Fangio, which was just hired as the defensive coordinator of the Dolphins at $4.5 million a year, that would make him commensurate in, in salary to Zach Taylor of the Bengals.
0: That's unbelievable. Which
1: is 16th in the league. Yeah. So about middle of the pack. There are probably, in. we have to estimate because they don't have to report the head coach's salaries. But Vic Fangio, as the defensive coordinator of the Dolphins, makes more than half of the head coaches in the National Football League. That's crazy. Well, I, And yet, it's probably worth it if you are the Dolphins. There is no cap, and no, you're, you have the, all no. those weapons on offense. And you can't play good
0: defense. So you bring in someone, and, and he worked with, the, uh, with uh, Bradley Chubb. I mean, you got – Makes sense. It, it does make sense. I mean, and – you know, he's going to have his own fiefdom. All he has to worry about is the defense. That's yours. We're not going to bother you with it.
1: Just go coach him up and see how good you can make that's him. a That's a tough division. That's right. In a tough conference. Yep. And there are all kinds of ramifications of that move too because now if you're looking at the quarterback carousel and the choices that these guys are going to have to make, why would you, if you have a choice and you're a quarterback and you want to win and get to a Super Bowl, why would you ever choose an AFC team? Good question. Why would you ever? Okay. It's a good question. Aaron Rodgers, for example. Yeah. If you're Stay going to have in a NFC. say in your, yeah. in your future, why would you go to the Jets? Oh, so you can play Fangio twice a year? So you can play the, B- the Bills twice a year? Oh, and by the way, Bill, Bill Belchick's waiting for I you. I thought
0: he was going to the Raiders. I thought he wanted to be with Devontae Adams. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. Does it? Didn't Devontae and, Adams and say. I, and I thought, I thought Derek Carr is going to, to uh, Green Bay because they don't trust Jordan Love.
1: I didn't see that rumor.
0: Uh, they were just going to Wouldn't
1: that be interesting?
0: Yeah. That's, I saw that was one of the many kind of.
1: That would not be good for the Bears because what's going on in Green Bay is very significant. It's very significant. As somebody that I trust compared it yesterday, if Rodgers leaves the Packers, it's similar to Brady leaving the Patriots. Mm. And what happens after your legend leaves town?
0: You you get rid of all offensive coordinators
1: and have the defensive guys <laughs> the offense. So Mike Patton will be calling plays for the Packers next year. <laughs>
0: all right, we let's keep the conversation going three one two six forty four sixty seven sixty seven. We're going to hear from uh, from a Giants player who thinks that Sirianni is uh, is a fraud, and the response to that from an Eagles player. We'll do that next. Molly and on the score.